Image Podcast listeners, it is I, Golden J, coming to you with the Golden Odyssey series, Interesting People Doing Interesting Things. Today, I have Ryan Hahn from Hometown Logistics. What's up, buddy? How we doing? How is everyone? Oh, man. Well, over here, we're doing pretty great. The weather is finally broke. We finally got some uh, good weather. I finally got my yo- my yard completely mowed, so... <laughs> yeah, the deck's been looking good too i've seen pictures you see of pictures it. of the deck like there you go oh yeah um so just so our listeners know i this is actually my first time ever meeting ryan or we've been kind of bouncing back some uh some emails but uh we've never really talked so everything tonight that you're going to learn about ryan i'm going to learn about ryan also so i'm super excited and hopefully we'll make this a great interview and uh you know I can do my thing and and pull out some of the deep, dark secrets that Ryan's keeping. (laughs) Oh, I got a few. (laughs) I'll bet you they're all college secrets too, ain't they? Oh, yeah. There's a couple. (laughs) So, man, tell me a little bit about uh, Hometown Logistics and what you do down there. Yeah, so Hometown Logistics is a company. uh, We're based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. But I'll just kind of give you like the sales pitch. We uh, give. Hey, do it, man. Do it. Um, so we're owned by Irvin USA, who they manufacture, they sell and lease trailers. Okay. So they get trailers from people. They'll build their own trailers. Um, and then they'll buy trailers off people that are like maybe five, seven years old. And so we're the largest like dealer of those. So we do about 12,000 to 14,000 of those trailers a year. Okay. And then we'll like lease another 10,000 of those as well. And so like we kind of are their logistics arm of that. So we're kind of backed by them. We also opened up an office in Nashville, but what we do is we have customers, we build a book and they have freight needs. They need shipments to go from one place to another. And so what I do is I'm the guy who's going and finding them trucks with my relationships that I, I have with my carriers or I'm, um, finding new carriers to work with, but then I pick up their shipments and deliver them on time. So the whole point is you're building relationships with people. Right. So kind of like your word matters, what you say, what you do matters. And then like you got to deliver. Right. If you say you're going to pick up a load and you don't pick it up, well, that looks bad. <laughs> um, so the whole point is you got to build a relationship. You got to be someone they can trust. And then you got to deliver, you got to have results. So basically I'm just kind of a broker. Uh, That's what we're called. A freight broker is what I am. But someone I work with, the best way he described it and how he said he would describe it to his grandmother is I'm a freight pimp. (laughs) So I have my trucks and my customers come to me and they say, hey, I need a truck to pick up an A and it needs to go to B. It needs to pick up today by this time and it needs to be there tomorrow by that time. Right. 
Well, I'm going to go call one of my trucks and I'm going to say, hey, what can you do for me? How can we work this out? So I have a budget I work with. I have to look at data that I can pile off several kind of like websites and data points that I can look at. I give a quote to my customer. They have to like that. So there's also that game involved in it. So it's not like I can just say, hey, I'll pick it up and I'll tell you what it is later. Right, right. I have to, I have to be verified to a certain extent. Right. Um, and then, so I basically do that all day. So I'm, it's kind of like sales and operations to a certain extent, but it's mostly sales-based. Um, and then if I'm not moving trucks, I'm making sure they're picking up, I'm making sure they're delivering. I'm doing paperwork on the back end for stuff like that. And then I'm making sales calls. Um, I remember when I first started, the goal was 150 calls a day. Oh, Wow. So, I mean, if you got in there at our hours are like 7.30 to 5. And so from 7.30 to 5, if I'm not moving trucks, I'm calling people. Right. Looking for looking for more business to move trucks. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, so like my job's a lot based on the economy and how the market's going. So I'm always kind of interested in that. Like if you looked at my LinkedIn, like it's just kind of looking at articles or making pitches on LinkedIn. I'm trying to maximize that. Right, right. Um, but just kind of looking at how the market progresses too. So there's also, it's kind of interesting, but I've always been someone that kind of likes working for people and as cliche and kind of silly as it sounds like, I just like helping people. And in this job, I feel like I'm helping someone. Right on. So like you kind of like uh, my boss, he talks about uh there's pain and pleasure in our business. <laughs> People have pain and you have to be the person that brings them that pleasure that they can trust you and your job's taken care of. And like they can they can move on to something else and worry about something more important than looking for a truck themselves. Because it can be time consuming and frustrating. Like um, there's been times where you got to book an appointment and you won't get someone on the phone for probably two, three days. Or if you email someone and you're like, hey, I want to deliver at 9 a.m. on Friday. They'll be like, well, you can deliver at 2 a.m. next Wednesday. (laughs) You got to play those games with people. Um, There's always unruly drivers. There's always unruly delivery places. And I deliver to a lot of job sites. right? And so I I deal with a lot of... uh, um, project managers, site, uh, I call them site contacts, but they're superintendents, stuff like that. And they're, they're not, they deal with a lot of like BS and I don't blame them for being in bad moods, but sometimes I got to deal with that. Right, right. So I'll also kind of work as like a buffer for my customers because there's a lot of stuff you deal with um, that's not always like, I would say the most pleasurable thing in the world to right. deal with. Um, I've been called a lot of things. I can say that. Uh, One of my uh, yeah. So uh, now you got me. Yeah, yeah. I was I shot off on what I was thinking about. Uh, yeah. So basically, um, you you have to listen to everybody scream and yell at you, and you just have to take it and and then try to fix it. Oh yeah. So I am like, I'm a problem solver. Right. That's, that's what I do. And you know, the age old saying like, uh, 
crap rolls downhill. Uh-huh. I don't want to cuss, so I want to be respectful. So I'm sorry. Um, but like, yeah, crap rolls downhill and I'm always at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> like, there's nowhere where I'm above anyone else. Right. And so, yeah, like, if someone's going to get yelled at in a situation with uh, a pickup, something in transit or something at the delivery, it's going to be me. And someone's got to answer questions and I've got to be the one that answers them. So, and so like, go ahead. Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's, it's a trust thing. So, um, I like in my, like to me and my job, like my word is everything. So like, if I say, if I go and call a truck and say, Hey, you're going to, when are you going to pick up today? And he tells me 10, I'm going to turn around and tell my customer, Hey, that driver is going to be there around 10. Right. And then if that driver is not there at 10, my customer is going to be like, why, where is he? You said he was going to be here. And like, I, that's something you have to answer for. Right. So it's always kind of like dealing with that and combating that. Well, hopefully your uh, your customers know that uh, truck drivers are uh, are never really actually on time. <laughs> no, no, that's that's the crazy thing is these guys get paid to be on time, yeah. and I'll never badmouth carriers. I've obviously dealt with a few bad drivers. Yes, but I mean, yeah, you have guys that. <laughs> they say you have a delivery appointment at 10 a.m. You have a five-hour drive. You have all day to make it the next day. And they'll still find a way to be late. <laughs> and like, you can be like, hey, why were you late? And the, at least some of them are honest. They'll be like, hey, man, I overslept. Right. Or, hey, I got caught in traffic. And they'll update you early. And like, you can work with that. But it's the guys that miss it. And then they don't tell you until like three hours later. Right. And you're just kind of like, well, hey, man, like – we're both out of luck on this one. <laughs> so now do you, do you work with uh, like big trucking lines or are you, are you more of an independent, independent truck driver uh, guy? I'm an owner operator guy. Okay. I like working with like the one man show. Cause that's how in our, like not all brokerages or logistic companies are built the same, but we're a, we're a uh, cradle to grave kind of model. So like I deal with everything when you want a number, you're calling me when you want to know where that truck is, you're calling me when you want paperwork, you're calling me. So like I deal with everything. Whereas other than like other bigger logistics companies, they'll have a pricing department. They'll have a carrier relations department. They'll have a customer relations department. They'll just have a tracking department where they'll just have like, interns just sit there all day calling trucks on the hour being like, where are you? Where are you? Right. Right. Whereas like I'm doing all of that as opposed to a 20 man team at some big uh, logistics company. But so I like working with guys like that. Um, I do work with other companies. Like I'm open to working with everyone as long as you're legit. Right. Right. Like I'm always going to give someone a fair shot, like a fair shake um, because it is hard out there and there are always, there's new drivers entering the industry every day. Um, so it's always like, you don't want to be the guy that says no to everyone, but you also need to make sure that you're vetting your carriers because the term is called double brokering, but there are people that what they do is they'll call on your load. They'll have a fake, um, they call it MC numbers, but it's like a verification code uh-huh. that pulls up like all your government uh, data that says like this trucking company's legit. Here's their insurance. Here's their uh, DOT, Department of Transportation Inspections. 
And so like you have to sit there and vet them. And then it's also just kind of a feel thing. Like you are on the phone with someone, you talk to someone and you just kind of know if you're dealing with someone that's legit or not. That's someone that is a true carrier company. Or if you're talking to someone that is over in Western Europe somewhere, who's just calling from some big company, that's all they do is they try and double broker freight. Right on. And there's like a lot of them. Um, and it's like a huge part of the industry. And it's something that is, you would think would get better over time, <laughs> but it only kind of has seemed to gotten worse. It's this weird thing that like the government, I don't know, has the ability to kind of just like step in and do anything about it, which is what it is. Like that's the government for you. I'll say that. Um, Here at Golden Image so, Podcast, we don't necessarily talk nasty about the government. <laughs> um, but so it's like you kind of have to just like feel out people and talk to them, and you always want to be able to talk to a driver. You always want to be able to talk to a dispatcher. But if you're dealing with an owner operator, um, you can just tell. You just know who they are. And you can call them whenever you can text them. They're always going to respond. And then they're kind of fair because you have to negotiate with drivers. Right. You got to like, there's always talk. There's always, when it comes to money, people always think they're, they need more or they need less. And like, you just always have to work within that because, yeah. And I always feel that the owner operators are, are more online with making what you want happen because they take pride in their their truck or their two trucks, you know, this, I've known a couple of drivers that, uh, that own a couple of different trucks and they are very prideful in making sure that their stuff is done on time and to satisfaction too. Right. Cause in the same like vein that my word is everything right. in my job, it's the same for that driver because in an owner operator, I, I agree with you hundred percent. They take a lot of pride in their, their craft because it's hard being a driver. I would never want to do it. Um, like it's not a pleasurable lifestyle in my eyes. Like it's hard hours. I don't think people truly comprehend what drivers go through on a daily basis. And I'll even badmouth my industry. Like there are bad brokers right. out there that treat drivers terribly. Like there are several people that brokers that'll be like, yeah, you have a 9am appointment tomorrow. And that appointment's really not till 2pm. When you've ruined that driver's entire day, like he can't go make money because right. his whole his whole way of making money, making a living, is picking up a load and delivering a load, and he's got to do that as many times as possible while working within government regulations. Like he has a ten hour reset, hour reset, or a, no, a twenty four hour reset after every ten hours or seven hundred miles or so. Right on. So they can only do that much driving, and then they got to stop. They can't drive. They can't even really be in their cabs a lot of times on certain, like in certain areas, certain states, or they got to go get a hotel. They got to pay for that. So like they can't like, yeah, there's a lot to it. If you have like a hotshot driver, who's a guy in just like a Ram 350 with a 40 foot trailer on the back gotcha. and he's driving 2000 miles, he's got to go stay in a hotel unless he wants to sleep in his truck, which is us. Like I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of drivers that do do that, but I, I mean, you count me out. Yeah, I'd like to get a shower and a soft bed, not a gear shift in my butthole. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's the last thing you want. I mean, it is, I, I mean, I, they deal with, 
if there was anyone underneath a broker in terms of dealing, yeah, being at the bottom of the hill, it would be the driver. Yeah. Because it's just, they're always, everyone's kind of getting thrown around. So that's where, like, I talk about relationships being important. Like, you want to work with drivers that are prideful in their work and they care about, they do what they say. And, like, so that's what I want to work with because I want to do that too. Right, right. Because a lot of my job is dependent upon the driver. And so working with good drivers makes kind of like everyone, because everyone can get what they want. The driver can keep working, keep making money because that's what they have to do to make money. And then I can keep doing a good job for my customers. And that's how I make a living. And so like it works out for everyone. And then the customer is happy because to me, and I guess I don't want to sit there and say it's about making money and that's what makes people happy because I've lost a lot of money for my customers. <laughs> it's just, and just been like, Hey, I did this. Like, let's move on. Like, if you can help me out on the next one, that would be really cool. But if not, like it's, it is what it is at the end of the day, it picked up and that's what's important. Right. So how did you, for how me, did you get involved in, in this, uh, field? Yield. <laughs> I went to Wabash college, okay. which is an all male, private liberal arts school in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Good old Crawfordsville. Yep. 45 minutes south of Lafayette, about an hour north of Terre Haute. So it's just kind of in this little pocket. Um, And I was was a religion and art double major. Because at Wabash, like, you got to take classes and everything. It's about getting credits and all these disciplines, and that's how you get your degree. Okay. Um, and then you have like your senior, uh, your senior comps at the uh, end of your, in between your first semester and second semester senior year, you have to pass those to graduate as well. So that's like three days of testing in the middle of winter break. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> but so as you can tell, being a religion and art double major, pretty hard to get a job. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to bring so, that up, but uh, you know. Yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> Well, I, I kind of like, I fell into this idea that these are two things like that do interest me and I'm interested in learning about, I'm interested in doing art. Um, I worked a lot in sculpture. I did a lot of photography um, and then did uh, drawing and sculpture as well, but mostly uh, pottery too, but it was kind of a mixed media of uh, clay and sculpture. Okay. So that was kind of what I did for my uh, senior studio. But um, basically, I was just kind of I passed my comps. I was kind of been like, I was like, man, I, I really need to get a job. <laughs> and I started applying for all these sales jobs, all these kind of like art, kind of artsy jobs um, where I was going to be like maybe a digital media guy. I could do editing for people because I had done that in the past. Um, and then just kind of kept bombing on sales interviews. And then Wabash is kind of like, we always get uh, base our rankings off the Princeton review. And so our alumni network is like, they're, they're really strong. They call themselves the Wabash mafia. <laughs> so I guess I'm a part of that now to a certain extent. But, um, they were ranked. They've always been ranked like first or second in the Princeton review for alumni network. So some alumni just reached out to me and hometown started in like 2018. Okay. And so like we're a rather young company, but the first employee at hometown was a Wabash guy. Okay. And so 
a second guy got hired the year before I graduated. And then I was just kind of like, man, I, I don't have a job. And I was, I was probably honestly one of the last seniors to have a job because someone from our career services sent me an email and said, apply for this job. <laughs> it was and so I just got, I went into an interview in a full suit, like tie buttoned up dress pants, the suit jacket, everything. And everyone's in t-shirts and shorts. Like what me and you are wearing right now is my work attire. Um, and so I already fell out of place. Like I was like, oh man, this is corny. I look terrible. Um, just had a really good interview, met with the CEO and the COO who are like on the floor every day. I talk to them every single day. Like we're not this kind of like, we're not the corporate America kind of lifestyle. Like we're very kind of, it's a home. It's a hometown right. kind of feel. Right. Like you're with you're with your you're working with your friends on a common goal. That's kind of how we treat it. Um so I just had a good interview and literally I was driving back to go to class because I was still in school at the time and got a call and they were like, Hey, we're gonna send you an offer uh offer letter. And I've been there ever since. I graduated May 15th, moved to Indianapolis May 16th. And my first day was May 17th and I haven't looked back. Nice. And you love it. And you love it there. Yeah. I mean, I, I truly do love what I do. I love the people I talk to every day. Um, I love the people I work for because at the end of the day, I work for people, not only at my company hometown, but my customers, I work for them. Right. And I get a lot of like, I guess I just get a lot of pleasure out of kind of being a servant for people and getting to work for people and help people. Now you also told me before we started that you are doing a podcast for hometown, correct? Yes. Can you, I do do one for hometown. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you talk about on your podcast? So we are called what's your best rate. We are actually on Spotify. Our first episode kind of got, we did it two months ago, so it's out there now, but um, what, what's your best rate came from that's what you hear a lot from dispatchers and drivers when you're negotiating because mm -hmm. you you sell a load as in this load picks up here it delivers here it is this product it weighs this much this is the times for pickup for delivery this is what i'm posted at and someone will be like well what's your best rate so they won't even like negotiate you in kind of like good faith. They won't be like, Hey, well, could you kind of, could you do this? Maybe they'll just be like, well, what's the best you can do? <laughs> and it's never good enough for most people. 95% of the time it is not good enough. Your best is not your best. Yeah, You can do better. So, <laughs> yes. So that's where the game begins. Um, so we just kind of talk about uh, like our first episode, we talked about this idea of being lucky because in our profession, like it feels like you get lucky a lot of times because sometimes you just you meet the right driver on the phone call. Right. And you're like, oh, man, like you're a blessing. Like this load needs to pick up in an hour and you're 20 minutes away. Like, oh, my gosh, dude, I couldn't be any luckier. That's the driver you, you jot down and call every time you need something really important. Yes. Oh, oh, every time every time a load picks up in that same area, you're calling him first. You're not even going to like throw it up on a board or anything. Right. You're calling him and you're saying, hey, this is what I can do for you. And you're not going to do the same for like another like some random driver right. or some company that you just like met for the first time. Because you always want to treat people that treat you well. You always want to treat them. Well. Yes. 
And like, cause I, I mean, I believe in karma. I, so like when you do good things and you put good energy out in the world, like that good stuff is going to come back to you. So I always, I treat drivers as well as I can and do as much as I can for them because then I feel like they're more willing to be like work with me when say like the market takes a dip and I don't have the same kind of money in the, a load that I had a month ago. Right. Cause that happens all the time. Insane. So, okay, let's break away and, and wait, before I, before I go away, do you want to plug what uh, your, uh, your uh, podcast? What's the uh, address? It's on, it's on Spotify. What's it called? Uh, what's your best rate? And you can find that. And is it anywhere else or just on Spotify? Um, I think it's just on Spotify. I think it's on another platform, but I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. All right. All right. Well, all our listeners go check it out. Bump up your Spotify and uh, go check it out. Listen, listen. It's a to good list. I, I would imagine it's probably pretty great because you guys oh. have probably got some great stories that you're telling while you're uh, – while, while you're on there. <laughs> yes, there's some good stories. Our second episode's coming out soon. And that one kind of goes through like the back history, kind of the origin story of hometown. Oh, nice. And it's with uh, a guy named Zach Biddle. And he's the Wabash guy I was talking about. He's the first employee hometown hired. And so he's been there from just the beginning, from the ground up. So he has this really cool perspective on how we started to where we are now because we've been through a rapid growth. Nice. Nice. All right. Let's uh, let's beer off a of hometown just a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about you outside of work. Um, I noticed and we did talk about this a little bit ago. Uh, Rage Against the Machine. He's got his T-shirt on. He did tell me this was his all time favorite band. Uh, did you make it out to see him? Have you seen him a couple of times? I have seen them. So they were, I saw them in July when they were in Chicago. It was their second show on their reunion tour. They were up in like Wisconsin or Minnesota. So probably not a crazy big venue for them, but they came to the United Center and it was sold out. It was for my birthday and they're my favorite band of all time. My my dad showed, I know I was telling you, um, my dad showed them to me when I was like, I want to say nine. Right. And I just, I still have all the CDs that my dad gave to me. I still have them of all of the Rage albums. I have all their songs. And just, I've never been to a concert where I could sing every single song. <laughs> and that was the first one. And I've just, I'm like, it was such an out-of-body experience. Right. That, like, I can't say anything but good things about them. And it was really cool because they broke up, like, I think, uh, early 2000s, like 2001, 2002. And then they kind of did a, a thing in the like 2010 era. And then they started this reunion tour right before COVID was uh, the pandemic hit. So then they had to put it on the back burner. Right. And so for two years, they were just waiting, waiting. They still did it. Good. And so I waited two and I had my tickets for before COVID. <laughs> So I waited two years <laughs> with these tickets in your hand. You paid for yeah, just being like, this is my favorite band of all time. Like, once I see them, I can die a happy man knowing that I'll never see a band that I like. I'll love more. Right. Right. Well, okay. Let's talk about this. Uh, Raging and machine United center back in July. Right. Yes. Now you and me just were at the United center this past weekend because today's recording day is May 10th. 
Now, I know that this this will probably be another couple months before this episode comes out as we record it. But this past weekend, you and I were on different days at the United yep. Center seeing one of my favorite bands. I don't know that I, I told you before, my all-time favorite band, Flicker Stick, but seeing one of my favorite bands, Blink-182, uh, I just I I want your hot take on on the on that show because it was the second the second city on this uh, basically reunion tour uh, you know with the original three members. What's your hot take right. on that show? Hot take? I I think my hot take is the right take. It was <laughs> unreal. So my um. So Rage Against the Machine is my favorite band of all time. And my girlfriend is Blink-182 to her is Rage Against the Machine right. to me. Yep. So we, I mean, as soon as she said, hey, they're going to be in Chicago, we knew we had to go. Um, and just hearing them and the way they sounded, it was like they had, they had never left each other. Right. It was unre- like they sounded... Like they sounded just like they did in the early '90s and 2000s, like they did. Like they just sounded a little bit older. Like you know what I mean? Like they you definitely, hear they them definitely them. look a little bit. Older. <laughs> yeah, they definitely look a bit older. But just the way, like the way Tom and uh, Hoppus, like the way they just kind of the chemistry on stage was just like it was so cool to see them kind of work that way. Right. Like the, they just were riffing off each other, the way they talked and like the crowd work they had. Like, I love a good performance. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that beats a good performance. You can be a really good singer, but if you just kind of don't really have a stage presence and you're not, you don't really interact with the crowd. Like there's only so much you're going to do because a concert's meant to be an experience. Yes. In my opinion, like the music's the main piece, but everything tied together is kind of what makes it a show. Um, cause I've seen, like, I've seen rappers perform and it's just like, man, this, I could have listened to you on the radio, yes. on the drive here and been the same. I have the same, I have the same and take it, with Megadeth. Uh, we went and see, this yeah, has been years yeah. and years ago and it's like, we get there and you know, they just stand there and headbang the whole entire time. And you're like, right. I could have just put the CD in and saved myself, uh, you know, 80 bucks on a ticket. I don't, I don't need to be standing here watching you just stand there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I agree with you one hundred percent on the hot take, and here's and here's the reason why. This was my third time seeing Blink. I had actually seen them uh, in the two thousands. I I'd have to go back and actually put a put a finger on it. Uh, you know, down in Noblesville, uh, you know, at the at the big place down there, uh, whatever it's whatever it's called now, man. It, for me, it'll always like be Deer Creek. It'll always be Deer Creek. <laughs> yep, <man>. Deer Creek. <laughs> But uh, then it was Verizon. Then it was not, I think it's Ruoff now. But then it was something it was right Calypse. between Calypse was in there somewhere. Calypse. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I'd seen Blank, and you know when this came up, and and I'll tell you this: uh, as we record this tomorrow night, I actually record with the Call Guys, and that is the whole entire episode because I went with Colton and Gunner from the Call Guys and their friend Jordan, uh, Colton's friend Jordan. Uh, it was their first time seeing the original members together. And it was just fun to be a part of that with them, 
you know, I was the old guy with with all the young people out there. But uh, well, I'll tell you uh, what was interesting was like I think like my them like my age group was the youngest people there. Like there wasn't a lot of people younger. Like I'm 24. I'm a, I will be 25 in July. Like there's there wasn't a lot of people younger than me there. Nope. Like it was me and up, and that I thought was cool to see. It, it is. It's exciting to see that and and have everybody that it's just a big span generation, you know, that the that the yes. early twenties and the twenties and the fifties can get together and just enjoy this band. But yeah, the banter that you saw it was the same banter. Not you know, not exactly the same banter, but it was the way that they worked together, and and that's you know even back then when I first saw them. And that's why I love them live so much. And, and they're not afraid to uh, put on a show and have a good time. And mm-hmm. what I love best about it is like uh, for us on Sunday night, because like I said, you were there Saturday night on Sunday night. Yep. Tom was having issues with his inner monitors and they didn't they didn't fake it. They were like, hey, we're going to take a minute while Tom fixes his ear and ear monitors. And Mark's like, I'm here to talk to you. And then he would just riff, you know, and just just have a good time. And and it oh, that man. to me is a sign of a band that is confident in what they do is the fact that they're not afraid. Like, oh, my God, this is all screwed up. We need to stop. You know, they just make it work. And it was just amazing. And I think they were as good, if not better than they were when I seen him years and years ago. There was one point on the Saturday show after a song, Mark goes, sorry guys, I gotta, I gotta come clean real quick. I missed a chord, one chord (laughs) in that song. And and to make it up to you guys, I'm going to do it right now. And just goes, (laughs) and it was just like, it was so funny, but I want to ask you a question about, about the show. Okay. And just your overall experience. Has Travis Barker kind of always kind of been like that? Because during the Saturday show, at the end of it, he just got up, threw a drumstick, left. Yes. Like there wasn't really anything. Whereas like Tom and Mark were like saying hi to everyone, talking to people. Like Travis was like, I'm here to do my job. I'm here to play the drums and I'm here to go. And it was just like, I didn't know if he was always like that. Because if he's always like that, then that's, I get it. But like if he was just like I was like, is he mad at someone? Because like you're always interested when bands get. I was like when I saw Rage, I was just like, I was almost more interested in how they interacted in between songs. Because I was there when Zach uh, De La Rocha, the lead singer, he tore his Achilles during that show. Oh wow! Like he was, yeah, he was singing during a song, and he's always like running around the stage, and he like just jumped and fell, and I, like they like took him off stage. I thought they were gonna cancel. But like I'm always, and he just came back on. He sat on a speaker and sang. The rest of the show was insane. But um, I'm always interested when like bands kind of they get a reunion, and then I'm always interested in how they kind of interact on stage. So I didn't know if Travis was always like that. Travis. Travis Barker is is that that is him. He is just that. Um, he's he's real. How do I put it? I don't think if he was in a band, I think he'd be an introvert. I think he would just stay in his house and, and not really deal with any of the outside world. He is that guy. Mm -hmm. He, he does all these things and he's, you know, you've, you've seen him drum for rappers or or drum for, you know, all these different bands and stuff over the years, but that's it. He's, he's that work related guy. He goes in, he does his job and he leaves. He's not really that 
out. I mean, you look at Tom and Mark and you go, yeah, they could, they could walk into any room and talk to anybody in this room and have a full on conversation for the next four hours. And Travis is, is that guy that walks in and goes, Hey, how you doing? Got to go, <laughs> you know? So yeah, yeah I, no, Travis is not, he's not, you know, he, he, uh, the guy work, he's the hardest working guy in that band. I mean, Oh yeah. It's just amazing to uh to watch him play. But yeah, that's that's how he is. So I think see I do I was like, oh man, like maybe he's just like that. Like I'm not I don't think he's a bad guy. I was just like, uh maybe he's just like he's very professional. He's yeah. like, I'm gonna come in here, I'm gonna freaking murder these drums, I'm gonna blast your minds with the uh, like his solos were so cool. Yeah. Like the one where they lifted him up. I was like, Oh, that's that's cool. <laughs> um, and he's just like I'm just going to do that. I'm going to blow your mind and I'm going to leave. Like, I'm going to know I did a good job. Now you see, what was, uh, I, I'm I, being a fan. Uh, I was a little disappointed in, in the actual drum solo type thing, because like I said, years ago, when I seen him, they did the lifting up, he was on hydraulics, but he spun, you know, he just spun, spun, spun. And while he played uh, and he really did have a giant flaming fuck sign behind him. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane so you know i was actually anticipating that but they kept him up there and on the lift for for a long time you know it wasn't like they raised yes. him up he did a solo and they raised him back down he just kind of hung out up there and that had to have been a great view probably the best view in the house that was such a cool view. i like just having just being able to look out were you sold out too because yes. i didn't see an open seat when i was there um we uh we had some open seats in front of us for the first two bands but man as soon as uh it yeah. got close to blink man everything kind of closed up yeah it was it was sold out in full uh what do you think about turnstile <laughs> i was gonna ask you what your opinion on the opening did you guys have beauty school dropout then too yeah uh, we had uh, we had them first and then Turnstile. Right. I, I actually enjoyed uh, um, I actually enjoyed Beauty School Dropout to an extent. Uh, and for our night, they were really, really, really bass heavy. So it was all bass and all bass drum, and you really couldn't okay. pull out the vocals. I never even heard a guitar, you know. And as a musician and a recording artist, you know, these are the things I look for. Turnstile. I was, was wondering if you heard that too, because I thought their vocals were really muffled. Mm -hmm. Beauty School Dropout. I definitely, I'll say this: I liked them better than I liked Turnstile. <laughs> yeah, that was. But to your point, I only liked them to an extent. Right. Exactly. Uh, Turnstile. I, I, when they first started, I thought, okay, we got something going on here, but they, they, yes. <laughs> they veered in like 16 different directions in one song and they were hard to follow. And, uh, uh, yeah, I just, by the time they were done, we were like, can we just get on to blink already? Good God. We're, yes. we, we're here for blink. We don't not here for this, whatever this thing is. So I thought their vocals were really hard. Like I didn't understand their lyrics at all. I had a really hard time following what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the, the whole um as we turn this into the call guys episode this is gonna record tomorrow night the whole uh <laughs> piano thing um as a musician yes. you watched him play it because they had the big screens up with with them you know the cameras on them and i'm watching him and i'm like he he's trying to portray like he's really 
intense on what he's playing, but he's playing like one chord or with two fingers. And I'm like, yeah, uh, we brought this piano out for what reason? I don't, I don't even know. This is not even really part of the show. He's opened with it and he finished with it. And that was it. (laughs) Yeah. Not my favorites. Uh, The, the whole, the, I, I could have done with any other two bands. I think, I don't know that those were, what I really wanted to see, you know, give me, uh, uh, you know, everybody was like, Hey, why wouldn't you bring fallout boy or something like that? Obviously you can't bring that. That would have been, that would have been hard to do, but it would have been so much better. Uh, I just think there have been better bands for, to open up for blinks reunion tour. And I just, I don't know. Now, uh, like help local bands because it seems like they're not there the entire tour right. like they're only like a regional part of it right yeah yeah well you would think they could do two three four dates with them and just tour around with them and then right. go to the next uh beauty school dropout is a mark hoppus produced band and that's probably why they're there okay. that makes yeah. sense so <laughs> All right. What was your favorite song? You know, uh, my actual, my favorite, I have two. Uh, I don't actually even know the name of the one. Um, it's uh, it's Christmas Eve and I've only wrapped two <laughs> fucking presents. Christmas. That's one of, you know, it's like what? 56 seconds one. long or something like that. That one. Yeah. And stay to get, stay together for the, for the kids. That was my favorite. And they played those two back to back. And I and I was like, this is like the perfect the perfect segment for me is right here right now. So that was my favorite song because like my stay together for the kids is about uh, divorce and like my parents got divorced. So like that song, like I heard that and I was like, oh my, like that might be one of the like that'll stick with me forever. That kind of feeling yeah. I had listening to that. Song. I have not went back and watched my video on my phone yet. I'm sure that I'm singing out of key, but I don't care. I was having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I used to perform that song in a couple of the bands that I was in. So uh, that's why that's that cool. was always my favorite, but uh, uh, you know, they have such great, you know, uh, the rock show song, you know, um, small things. I mean, the whole the whole take off your pants and jacket album was an amazing album. Yes. And, and uh, you know, I've listened to that million a million times. So Oh, well let's move on away yeah. from getting to- <laughs> as we talk about the Blink show. Just join the show tomorrow. Do do what now? I said I might as well just join the show tomorrow I, I know, at this right? point. I know, right? Just get him on there. Um so We've talked about uh, we talked about hometown. We've talked about uh, your love of music in the, in the concert. Uh, I noticed uh, besides the shirt, you also got the uh, the hat on. That is uh, that is a uh, golf hat. Am I correct? Yes, sir. It is a uh, Callaway Golf. It's their new like hat this series, or because they they came out the Paradigm Clubs. So was that so a, was that a big hat. part of college then too? That you kind of just kept on, or is this something you kind of do after college? So I got actually like I didn't pick up my first pair of golf clubs until uh, June, like last June. Okay. So it'll be a year on the 20th of this June that I started playing golf. And I just kind of like I've obsessed over it. Um, I played football in college. um, So and then I wrestled and played football like growing up. So I've always just 
I've been an athlete, kind of always been obsessed with competing. Uh-huh. Like that's another part of like my job that I like because you're competing against other companies. Um, but like golf kind of just scratches that itch <laughs> on the back where I'm like, and it's also it's a game against yourself. Yes. Like no one like there's old golf saying that like no one on the course gives a shit what you're shooting. They only care about themselves because they're only concerned about their own game. Like there's nothing I can do that's going to help you on the course, like hit a ball better. Cause you, it's such a technical sport that even if you, and then it's like, there's some luck to it. Cause like it, I can hit everything right. And like my body be right. My hips turn, my club face is square. Like I get my shoulders through and like, I'll still shank it. It'll still slice 30 <laughs> yards to the right. Like, part of me just kind of thinks that's really cool. Like you can't, like you, you can get, the only way you can get better is get work really, really hard at it. There's no way you get lucky and get better at golf. Like it's not that type of sport. Like it doesn't matter how athletic you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter how tall you are. It doesn't matter. Like how long you're not a lot of things necessarily matter. Like you have to work at something you have to like take the time. And it's a, what Bruce Lee, like it's the, it's not the man that knows a thousand punches. It's the man that practices one punch a thousand times right. that you should be most afraid of. Right. Or like something along those lines. But like, so it's like they, you just have to work and work and work. And that's the only way you can get better. And I, I, I think that's cool. I think that's a cool part about you can attribute to life. Like you're never going to just things people get lucky when they work hard like that's kind of my mentality on when it comes to like everyone can be lucky if you work really hard you like put your nose to the grindstone kind of mentality like those people get lucky a lot it seems like well yeah you nailed it i mean the harder you work the the i forget who i was uh who i was uh watching or listening to where they didn't believe in luck there was no such thing as luck it's the hard work that pays off in the, in the end, you know, uh, very little luck goes into play to, to a hard, uh, to a hardworking, whether it be golf or whether it be, you know, what you do on a daily basis, whether it be podcasting for just say, you know, yeah. you get out there and you got to work at it and practice at it and, and keep your nose down and keep going. My old golf saying is golf is a beautiful walk spoiled by a little white ball. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I honestly can't say it any better. Um, I will say like the best lesson I was ever given. Have you ever heard of purgatory? Yeah. The golf course? No, no. I so, just heard of purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the first place I ever played. And it's called purgatory for a reason. It's like, it's hard. Like um, 17 is a par three. And there's nothing but sand bunkers that surround oh my. It. the front, the back, the sides. And it's like, I mean, all over. Um, and that was the first place I ever played. So part of me was lucky because I didn't know how hard it actually was because I didn't know how hard golf was really because it was, I was just there playing and having fun. Like if I went and played it now, it'd probably like infuriate me. Right. Um, but um, I can't remember what I was doing right <laughs> now. But, uh, it was the whole pur- Just, purgatory like, thing. Yes. <laughs> the first lesson, um, first lesson I was ever taught was you're not good enough to get mad. 
And so like, that's how I play golf. Like I'm always focused on getting better, but I'm never trying to get mad at myself. I'm never going to throw a club, never going to break a club. I'm never going to disrespect the course. Uh, just because there's no point to that. Like, I'm, like it's like the people that punch doors or punch walls when they're mad. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of been like, well, like that wall ain't feeling none. You're just going to break your hand and be worse off. Yeah. Yeah. I might've, I might've broke my hand anyway. Let's uh, <laughs> so have you ever tried disc golf? No, I have seen videos of it, but I can't throw a frisbee to save my life. <laughs> I'll be a hundred percent with you. Uh, I love disc golf, man. I, I, I love playing. Um, but you know, I, and you're right. I, I shouldn't get mad, but I get mad at myself and I'm just like, you know, <laughs> like it's the this fault because it didn't go where I wanted it to go. But, uh, oh, yeah. as, as I played more and more and more and, and kind of got out of that rut, I, you know, I just go out and enjoy it more. And it's more about going and playing with my son Gunner when we go and play and, and, you know, stuff like that. So that's, that's hilarious that, uh, that, uh, you know, when you say I don't get mad, but I don't know how many times I was mad as hell while I was playing, <laughs> kicking things. Oh, I, I still get mad too. I, I, I'll, I'll definitely get mad. And it's like, I've, um, you know, golf has been like, I think really rewarding for me. Uh, it's like a really peaceful place, but I've gotten like, I've played, you know, 36 holes in a day. I've played 18 twice in a day. Right. I've played, you know, uh, 54 holes in a week and are, you know, however many times three eighteens is I've like, luckily, but, and this is where I mean about being lucky. Like I've hit a hole in one already. Oh, wow. And like, like just being able to say like, I've done that. Like we want to talk about something that I'll keep bringing you back to the course, uh-huh. like just cutting for that feeling again. And then I think I, you appreciate things more. I feel like as time progresses and you get better at something so like I was really happy that I hit a hole in one, but I think I would appreciate it so much more now because I've spent so much more time playing golf too right. and practicing and like just like um, being able to do that and like increase like just keep lowering my score has always been fun too. I haven't broken a hundred yet. I'm still working on that. <laughs> I've shot a one on one. I've shot a hundred flat. Like. I'm just waiting on the moment I can say I hit. I'll hit 99 and still that'll be the happiest day in my golf career <laughs> so, so far. Well, you know how we play golf, right? How do you play we golf? We go up to par. We go back down to one. We go back up to par. <laughs> We're always shooting oh. under par. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the type of guy that starts, I'll go three over on the first hole and then I'll just kind of be stuck. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I just have, I have bad holes and good holes. I, I can hit, I'll, I'll par a hole really well and play it really well. And then I'll go up and double the next hole and just kind of be like, well, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about playing football in, uh, in college. Uh, just out of curiosity, yeah. what did you play? Um, I played like a, it was an outside linebacker, kind of like safety It's called a Rover Okay, is what it was called, but it was like a hybrid position, but defense. Um, so basically I was like an edge rusher outside linebacker. And then I would also play like cover safety or uh, wide receivers and stuff. Right on, right on. So, uh, being a football player and, uh, I'm assuming, and I know, well, I'm not assuming cause I know you're a giant, uh, Chicago bears fan. 
Love the Bears. The Bears. <laughs> what's your uh, what's your take on the draft for the Bears this year? Um I'm really happy with it. I've seen a lot of people have questions, but um I'm a big fan of Justin Fields. I like his character. I like the way he conducts himself, not only as a football player, but as a man off the field. Um, I think he's a leader of men. I think that's who you want. You need a franchise quarterback. Mm -hmm. And so when they went and drafted, like what Ryan Poles, the general manager is doing is I think he's stockpiling because we already have the most cap space. Right. Like, we still have like close to a hundred million dollars. I'm pretty sure in cap space. Yep. I might like, we might be a little under that, but I know we're still fairly close. We got a number one, a true number one receiver in DJ Moore in the draft with the Panthers. Mm -hmm. So I'm ecstatic about that because at the end of the day, like Justin Fields, he got screwed in his for his rookie year. Cause he only played half a season with nothing. There's nothing around him. His second year, they're trying to salvage what they even had. Mm -hmm. And so like, you already know it's a tanking, a rebuilding year. And so like they did, like they ended the season, the back half of the season, they're like the number one rushing team. So you can always hang your hat on that. Right. Like to me, that's in, like, he put up the highlights. He made the place. He progressed as a quarterback. So they got an offensive tackle, uh, from Tennessee, and he's a freaking mauler, dude. He right. just he's like Tevin Jenkins, the guy from Oklahoma State they got last year. But I think he's better skill wise. Um, they went and got some defensive players. They went and got a receiver. Uh, I think they made all the right decisions while also still getting draft picks for next year because it's not like Rome's not built in a day. You're not rebuilding a franchise in a year, like. You got to be lucky to do that. You got to draft Patrick Mahomes to do that. <laughs> like, you, know, like, you know what I mean? Like you got to, like, you need a generational. Like when the Colts had drafted Andrew Luck after Peyton Manning, I was like, "Oh man, we freaking found it. We got the dude." And then they just beat him mm -hmm. to hell. And so, like, I don't want the Bears to do that to Justin Fields because the Bears are always will always be my first love. And then there's Ferrari and F1, and then there's the Colts. Right on. Uh, so then, like, just knowing, like, the Andrew Luck story, I don't want the Bears to do that. So I'm happy with what they're doing. I'm happy that they're keeping inventory almost. They're stockpiling picks, which are, like, that's draft capital. Money isn't the biggest thing in the NFL. It's draft picks. Right. Whatever anyone tells you, it is draft picks. That's what owners care about. That's what GMs care about. That's what head coaches care about. And they're the ones calling the shots. Yep. And so, like, if you don't have draft picks, like, you don't have real estate. You, like, you don't have anything to bargain with. Um, and uh, so, like, I just I, – I think they're doing the right things. And I still think they're going to make big splashes. I think it will be interesting to see what they do when training camp ends for everyone around the league. But I still think they'll probably make – I still see them signing someone big. Because they I, – I mean, I still think we need ad rushers. I think you need someone there. I like our secondary. The the two dudes they drafted last year, uh, Brisker out of uh, Washington, and then the other guy. Where's he from? Oh, I can't remember. I can, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> but like they they have a good defense. Like the Chicago historically has always right. had a good defense, and they've lost. They they lose close games. So just I'm I'm realistically I think they can win seven games. I think they're, they'll be somewhere between six and eight wins. 
they'll be a fringe wild card team. They might make the wild card. That would be an optimistic outlook would be them making the wild card. I don't think they win the division. I think Detroit's going to shock people. Oh, I, I try very hard. You heard it here first. Oh, my. Yes, <laughs> That's I, bold. I, I can, <laughs> I can, I'll tell you this, though. I'll tell you this. I can't wait to watch the Packers suck. Oh, it's then they're going to I suck. Can't wait. It's going to be I, so, it's be pretty great. Fun story. I was at the game when Aaron Rodgers was playing the Bears uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And scored a touchdown and told the crowd, "I own you." Oh yeah, I was at that. I was at that game. <laughs> I was in the opposite end zone, and I saw him talking to the crowd, and I was like, I'm "Not gonna say." I was, a lot of obscenities <laughs> being yelled at Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And then I'm after the game, like you're sad because we lost, of course, because he he does own us. Um, he wasn't lying. At, <laughs> yes, he wasn't lying, and that's the part that hurts more. That's what hurts more. Right, right. And just seeing what he actually said, and I was like, "Oh damn, I can't even like." He's right. <laughs> just being like, darn. Listen, I think that Chicago made the smartest choice that they could have made by trading out that number one. I don't think there was anything there that they really needed because they had fields and we all knew that those quarterbacks were going one and two in in the beginning of that. So I think they made an extremely smart move, uh, you know, trading those out, getting some more draft uh, capital behind them. And uh, I was excited to see them get the, get the, the offensive tackle and uh, you know, something to, to, to protect fields because I think a, a lot of us, and, and I'm a Chiefs fan, you know, obviously, you know, if you look at my background, <laughs> but you know, you want, you want people like Justin Fields to succeed because you want to be able to have those, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like the Joe Burrow and the, and the Josh Allen's, mm-hmm. the competitiveness and, and, you know, all that stuff. And we want Chicago. I mean, Chicago's too close to us not to care about. So, yep. you know, you want to, you want to see them do well and you just keep being afraid that they're just going to end up being the next Cleveland dumpster fire. And no matter what they do, they just can't seem to get it put together. But, you know, a lot of a lot of it rests on Justin Fields right now and being a leader and getting out there and doing all these things that need to be done. And I think he can do it. I just I think they just need to get a little bit more personnel around them. They need a they need a, you know, a a big time wide receiver. Number one to uh, I mean, you know, they had is is Conway still there. Uh, no. So they're, I think the top three will be DJ Moore, who they got from the Panthers, uh-huh. but I think can, I think he can be a, a wide receiver one. He was in Carolina. Like he has the stats that I think could back it. So it'll be interesting to see there, but then you have Darnell Mooney, who's still there, who is a good receiver. And then like, I'm not a fan of Chase Claypool. Uh, but Chicago seems to be a fan of him. So we'll <laughs> see. He didn't do a lot last year, so it'll like it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I do think like you know, if like DeAndre Hopkins became available, like if they could go grab him, 
or like some big name receiver who's going to be a free agent. Just go and grab someone that you know is going to step on the field and produce immediately. Right. right. Well, and in in my in my opinion, the the Hopkins, the uh, I'm trying to think, of just a couple of the big ones, the DJ Metcalfs and and the Travis Kelseys. Those are the guys that take away a lot of the attention. Take the attention away from everybody else, which in turn then makes yes. the other ones great too. And, you know, that is, uh, that is an important uh, factor in all that too. So hopefully they have a great season, man. I'll be rooting for the bears, except for that one game this coming season. When Chicago travels to Arrowhead stadium, I can't blame you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those overseas games, I get why they do them, but the players hate them. Oh, yeah, yeah. They don't like it. It's like Thursday night football. Like, the players hate Thursday night games, and we – like, I get why we have them at times, but, like, you got to give those dudes a 10-day break after or something. Yeah. Like, they shouldn't play until, like, Monday night next week. Well, let's take uh, let's take Commissioner Goodell. Let's take him out on the field. Let's beat the living shit out of him, uh, you know, throw him the ball and let people tackle him and throw him to the ground. And, and you know, he can stand up there and go up against Travis Kelsey or uh, Jason Kelsey at center and, and, uh, and then tell him in three days he's got to do this all over again. Let's see how he likes it. Exactly. I bet you he wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, on the flip side of that, these guys get paid a lot of money to be out there, and uh, yes, and uh, you know that's that is how it is. That is their job. That is their job. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ryan, I want to thank you for taking this time with me tonight, man. I I so much appreciate it, and it's so nice to meet you. And I'm glad we got a chance just to kind of sit here and shoot the shit, and and uh, it, it's been fun, man. I hope you had a good time. Hey, thank you so much. I had a blast, man. I um, I remember when Bobby, like, I was on a tour at the facility, yeah. and she was like, "Hey, uh, my husband Jeremy is going to reach out to you. He wants you to be on this podcast." I was like, "When? When can I do it? Because I want to do it." No, like, I was super excited. I had a blast, man. I had a lot of fun. Like, hopefully, I didn't talk over you too much. No, no, I, I you were you about. were wonderful. That we did exactly awesome. what I wanted. I wanted to hear about you. I wanted to learn about you. Uh, like I said, interesting people doing interesting things, and. And when I was putting this, when I was actually putting the list together, your name, I wrote your name down. And because I, oh, I thought that, it, you know, as, as we get into this, uh, you know, and you look into it and it's like, what he does is actually extremely interesting because of all of the, the moving parts of what you got going on. And then it's always just yes. fun to learn about, you know, you personally outside of, uh, you know, outside of your work or whatever, you know, outside of your regular work job and just the things that you enjoy doing. Oh yeah. I, I'm a simple man. I, I wake up, I go to work, I go to the gym and then I'll like, I like F1 golf and football right on. and then I'll play some video games and music. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's my life. Like I like to keep things simple. Like I, I, I don't think I'm interesting, but some people think I am. <laughs> I think we're all interesting in a certain way. I just think, oh, what, yes. I just think that what you do, it, it made, uh, made, well, it did. It made for a great interview. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Let me do my outros and work it out of here. All right. Yes, sir. Thank you everybody for listening to golden image podcast and, uh, you know, getting to know Ryan a little bit. Uh, uh, we appreciate it and we hope you like it and let us know what you think. Uh, you know, you can email me at golden mojo ENT at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, 
feel free to go on and like subscribe review on spotify and, and apple email or apple email wow holy crap on apple <laughs> podcast and uh you know do all that fun stuff we, we love to hear from our listeners if you like uh, golden image podcast maybe you'll like somebody else in the golden mojo entertainment empire we have the call guys on mondays uh, you know, obviously on Tuesdays, Golden Image Podcast. On Wednesdays, we have the United States of Paranormal. On Thursdays, it is the Indiana Chiefs fans. On Friday, you get a double shot. That's right. You get a double shot of um, murder nerds and a quart of books and booze. And probably, and I probably should say this now, when this comes out, uh, the Golden 80s podcast will be on Thursdays with uh, me and my friend Brandon. We're talking about everything 80s. That's right. You'll love it. I promise because it's like a total flashback and everybody loves the eighties. So tune it in. You can find us anywhere you stream. We appreciate it. Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So I'll I'll see you guys again next week. Later. Oh, I finally got a crap.